Thanks for stopping by. I'm Corey Edwards, and I don't want to brag, but I just got a haircut. <laughs> That's right. My hair is shorter now. Um, I find it so soothing to go get a haircut, but I also, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm a simple creature, but just for a couple days after I get a haircut, just keep forgetting that I, I got one, and I was pretty shaggy, and I will just step into a bathroom or step in front of a mirror and suddenly see myself and and be surprised at the person that I see uh, in the mirror. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's short hair guy. I forgot. Like, I, I forgot what's going on up there on my head. Um, um, so that's what's going on with me. Um, JK, a ton more is going on because it's um, the end of the year. I have two boys in two different schools. Everybody's uh, graduating from their grade. Everybody's uh, saying goodbye to friends for the summer. It's a big deal, guys. There's a lot of events. There's a lot of cookouts. There's a lot of fiestas and uh, looking forward to the summer and um, all the summer movies. And oh my gosh, this is the week Obi-Mo Kachobi comes out. Obi-Bo Kachobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, we're going back to that desert planet again. How many things can happen on that uh, deserted planet Tatooine? Apparently a lot. Uh, but let's hope that Obi-Bo Kachobi, Obi-R Kachobi, <laughs> What's his name? Art Obi Artichoke uh, can have a lot of adventures on other planets too. But my kids and I are looking forward to that too. Um, uh, but at these events, at all these uh, events, there's a lot of cameras coming out, uh, phone cameras. And uh, I got to tell you, I, 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 I continue to be frustrated uh, by the billions of people that decided that it is better to photograph things uh, vertically, portrait style on their phone, then landscape, turning your phone sideways. Now, I know. I know there are those of you out there that are going to argue me to death that, hey, this is how I consume media on my phone. I'm going to shoot all the stuff at my kid's uh, recital uh, straight up and down vertically because I'm going to watch it and show it to grandma vertically. Okay, that's fine. But then you're going to Bluetooth it uh, uh, onto your TV, which is landscape, which is sideways. It's horizontal. So then you're going to get this slash in the middle of the screen where there's video, and then a bunch of black or out-of-focus junk on either side. Same, same if you post it on Facebook, or if you, you know, our eyes are, our eyes are landscape. We have two eyes. We, we view the world in a horizontal way. We go to movies, and it is a horizontal screen. So I don't know where this started. My wife is getting sick and tired of me talking about it, and I've, I've stopped being mad about it. I'm just more confused. Like, I saw a video on social media where there was somebody and they were out whale watching and here comes a whale up out of the water and they are shooting this thing portrait style. So there is a vertical rectangle shooting a horizontal whale, this big, long, horizontal thing coming up out of the surf and they're, they're panning back and forth to get all of the whale. Oh, if they could only see all of the whale, if they were only not dumb enough that they can't turn their phone sideways so they could shoot it sideways because a whale is horizontal. Or you're, I'm seeing, I, 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 you know, I could go on and on. I, I'm seeing uh, kids' recitals. I, I'm going to kids' programs right now at the end of the year, and there's a crowd of kids, and they're all standing out in front of us in a long horizontal line. And I've got parents shooting it straight up and down with the portrait uh, camera style. And they're, they're going back and forth, they're panning back and forth, hoping they can get the whole row of kids in because they can't figure out that if you turn the phone sideways, you can see all of the kids in one shot. But I'm going to stop now. I'm going to stop talking. Because uh, as you can see, while I said it doesn't get me upset anymore, it does. It does. I'm just asking you to consider maybe a more cinematic life, more cinematic life when you're shooting things on your phone. Um, but as I went to a lot of things, um, inevitably, because your kid is friends with other kids, you go to these events and now uh, you as a parent have to be friends with the other parents. Some of these people I did know already. Some of them I, I didn't. Some of them I've said hi and nodded to about 50 times and that's it. And my wife is great at this. My wife is great at creating community. She's great at pulling people into a network, a, a, a circle of people that call on each other. 
And I just don't think dads do that. And I think maybe a, a lot of dads are about their jobs or their, you know, I, I know a lot of very involved dads in their families. I'm involved a lot in my family, in my family's life, but I have an unusual career. I have an unusual schedule. I can be at something at two in the afternoon if, if I so need to. If I so need to? Am I a Shakespearean actor? I don't know why I said that sentence. So if I were to perchance so need to, I would be there. Uh, perchance. So I want to I wanna write or maybe just find and read a book called How to Talk to Dads. Because I think some dads don't know how to talk to other dads. I have a hard time with it. But, but I, I will confess to you guys, uh, I, I'm pretty proud of myself this past week with all the events at the end of the school year. I was on fire, guys. I figured it out. I did it right. And uh, my sweet wife has been telling me how to do this for years. Just ask them about them. I'm always so, I don't know what to say. I'm just like standing there with a cup of punch in my hand and I'm just talking about what we're looking at. Like, oh, those kids in those robes. <laughs> Boy, that play was something else, wasn't it? And that's it. I, that's all I got. But but especially with dads, especially with guys, man, this week, I just, I finally, I, I realized what I have to, I guess, realize on a regular basis. Uh, just ask the dads about their jobs. That's like the that's like the golden way in is I say so so what is it you do for a living and then they start to talk about what they do for a living and people love to talk about their thing there it's not that we're all selfish it's that it's like oh my gosh here's a thing that I'm an expert in here's something I know about and I am happy to talk about and then I and and maybe it's because I've been doing this podcast and I I go into interview mode I'm like oh really well what's that like and I got to be honest, guys, sometimes I really don't care what their job is like. I don't. But guess what? We're talking. We're like five minutes into a conversation. I can't believe I'm doing it. I'm talking to another dad. I can't believe it. And it all starts from, uh, what do you do for a living? Um, you know, and I, I, and I hate that we are, um, especially as men, all about our work. But guys, we're all about our work. Even when we're not working. Even when we're uh, these vagabond creative people that I interview and, and that I am myself. Um, we love to talk about our thing that we do that gives us purpose or that at least brings in the money or that that, 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 that keeps us going every day. You know, so it's like, what do you do for a living? I mean, if they're a fisherman, if they're a farmer, they're going to want to talk about it. Um, but I've gotten into a lot of conversations about people that, uh, you know, one guy sells uh, um, uh, solar paneling and I'm, <laughs> I go in interview mode. Man, what is that like? Can you do they develop it now where it's part of the windows, or do you still have to have it at forty five degrees on the on the roof? And it's like, oh, it's all rooftop still, it's all rooftop. But there's this new technology, you know, and they just go into the solar panel industry, and they're really into it. And suddenly, it doesn't, you know, I I don't know that I am interested vaguely, but I'm more interested that this guy is interested in talking to me, and we somehow. After about two or three minutes, we're not talking about solar paneling. We're just talking about life. We Suddenly, somehow we segue into other stuff. One of the great segues I had with one of these dads was that we both grew up uh, reading the Chronicles of Narnia. And he had a favorite book and he had a favorite character and I would reference a character. And, you know, I, I'm not really a nerd for that series, but I'm very familiar with it. It was a big part of my childhood. And so here we are, these two dads bonding over a like childhood book series. Um, so, so it, I don't think you walk up to somebody and go, Hey, stranger things, huh? Am I right? Stranger things. Let's talk about it. Because it, you know, if, if you go in, if you go in like that, if you go into a specific target and, and that's not the target, then the other dad's like, uh, I don't know. I, I watched it. I, I don't think much of it. You know, you're dead. You're dead in the water. So you start with their, what do they do for a living? That's my, that's my little helpful hint to dads as you stand around at events at the end of the school year and uh, this summer. And and for all time. Because let's face it, dads really, uh, a lot of us are wallflowers. We really are. Um, a lot of us, uh, our, our game is not strong at events. Some of us are. I mean, some of you some of you dads have swagger. Some of you guys are life in the party. You're buying people drinks. Um, I have to really flip that switch. And I know I, I do stand-up comedy and I do this. And I, like, you're hearing me and I, I sound like a gregarious guy. But at these events, man, I can fade back. If I let myself, my default is to get real passive and fade into the background. But I didn't do it this week, and I'm just proud of myself. I walked up. I walked right up to other dads and engaged. Um, I did not get engaged to any of the dads. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, that would be weird. 
uh, for me to uh, suddenly be engaged to someone else's dad. Uh, because I'm already, I'm already married. Happily so. But I brought up that connection because it was over a book series. And um, it's really cool when you find that someone else read all the books that you read. And I'm bringing that up because my guest today does not just write books for a living. She's not just an author. She has written whole series of books. So she has created characters that people were so interested in that they read two, three, four books of those characters. That's not easy to do. Uh, a book series is a powerful thing. It's the franchise of the publishing world. And I know we all love franchises. So uh, we're going to talk to her and uh, learn a lot about many different forms of writing. Um, I'm Mr. Screenwriter, but I was fascinated to hear how she's cranked out over 20 books and movies and more. So let's get to that. My guest today is such a prolific writer. She's written a stack of books. She's written several movies, and then she's even written some books based on her movies and movies based on her books. So I don't know anybody else like that that's written in all those formats, so I'm really happy to talk to her today. My guest, Renee Gutteridge. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Am I at the count of you've written 24 books? Uh, I've written 24 novels and, and yeah. more books, but yes. Uh, not just a lot of books, but three different uh, book series, which I also find fascinating. There's the Boo series, which we can talk about, which is how I got to know you. And then the Storm series. And then I believe it's called, uh, oh. The Occupational Hazards. Occupational Hazards. And I, I want to know more about those. Um, well, I guess I want to back up and say, did you always want to be a book author growing up? Is that something that just you literally knew from the get-go as a little person? I did not. I was, I was forced to go to the library as a kid <laughs> and uh, I, uh, you know, did a lot of reading over the summer to earn the Dairy Queen ice cream cones and uh, then started loving to write, I guess, as a kid. Never had any ambition to do it. I didn't even, I, I didn't even dream big enough to do that really as a kid. And um, but as I got older, uh, I started doing more of it. And as a teen, I really got serious. And that's actually when I, I taught myself screenwriting, um, which was much easier than <laughs> fiction writer writing in terms of word count. And, um, so that was actually kind of where I was headed in college was, um, actually it's a long, it, I was a, I was a broadcast journalism major, hated it, then thought mm -hmm. I'd go into some sort of like criminal justice. And oh, then wow. my, I had a writing professor go, have you ever like thought about being a writer? And I was like, do people do that for a living? I mean, is that, and so it kind of started from there, but I really didn't have any thoughts on being a novelist because as you mentioned, it was just a lot of words. And I had been writing screenplays in college. That's what I was studying. So I got into it because when I graduated, uh, I got married. We stayed in Oklahoma. And there was, at the time, no film scene here. So I, did, I just thought, well, what's the next best thing? And I thought, well, fiction writing, I could do that. And so from there, I took that more seriously and started studying the craft. Well, it seems like screenwriting surprised me early on in that at first I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to write a hundred pages of a screenplay? And on the contrary, right. it's hard to keep it down that low. It's hard to be right. <laughs> um, brief. Uh, screenwriting is this incredibly restrained art form, whereas in a book, it, there's no page count that you have to keep to. Um, you can explore, you can be free. And I, and I, I feel like, you know, the scope can be unlimited as far as there's, there's no budget on your book, really. That's, there's no budget on your book. That's right. Um, but there is that daunting task of like, um, do you, did you get, uh, how did you get into it? Did you just write something and just start sending it to publishers? Or were you interacting with somebody at a publishing company that, of what they were interested in? I actually, I had gotten a postcard uh, in the mail about a uh, writer's conference. 
And I thought, well, this seems like a good place to go if you want to be a writer. So I went to one and then I went to another and I went to another. And basically writers conferences are many college courses, master classes on writing. And I found them incredibly helpful to learn, but also to network because agents are there and editors are there and you start meeting people. And so that's how I broke into the businesses. I went to several writers conferences. And then once I felt like I had pages that I could reasonably pitch, they were at a level that was good enough, um, then to editors and actually at the time in the Christian market which is where I was publishing um, there it was small enough at the time that you didn't necessarily need an agent you could pitch directly to the large publishers it's not that way anymore but um, so I actually sold my first book without an agent and pretty soon after I realized I actually well after I signed all my foreign rights away I realized uh, on my first book, I realized I might need an agent. And so I got an agent pretty quick, which is easier to do once you publish a novel. And, uh, and I still have her as an agent uh, 20 years later. And oh, that's um, great. yeah, so that's how I got started. I, I can't recommend writers conferences enough. They really are a great way to learn and break in. Well, that does sound great. That's like just, uh, um, it's like going to college in short spurts and everybody there's a writer, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it's so much fun uh, besides oh. the learning. Yeah. That doesn't like a great cauldron of uh, connectivity and networking and just like you go home inspired, I'll bet. Yes, absolutely. Um, what was the first uh, published book that you were speaking of? The first book was called Ghost Rider. Um, I, you know, you mentioned that there's no page limit, which is true until you get into the publishing world. And I, you know, I didn't really read carefully my contracts. So I kind of read the deadline. I read the amount they were paying me and I read the, how many free books I was getting. I did not read <laughs> that there was a word count limit. So my first draft that I turned in was like, oh, it was awful. It was like 250,000 words or something. And so they came back and they're like, you know, they're, they're trying to be positive and like, this is good. And it's saying all the right things, but they're like, we're going to have to cut a hundred thousand words from this. Wow. And so um, anyway, so I did, I cut a hundred thousand words and believe me, they are not missed. Um, but oh. Yeah, they, you know, my the first publisher you ever get takes takes a huge risk on you, and they do a lot of heavy editing, <laughs> and you learn a lot on that first book. Well, and I, you know, my wife had worked at a publishing company for uh, quite a while, um, and she interacted with um, a lot of authors and a lot of first time authors, and it sounds like you were pliable and you were open to suggestions and you were willing to cut. <laughs> and edit your work, which yes. many new writers are not, I found that's out. That's right. Yes, that's right. And I really try when I teach at writers' conferences to talk about how your editor is your friend and not your enemy. And um, they're only going to make you better. And they're trying to make you better for everybody's best interest, including your own. Um, but I think writers go in very protective of their work and believing that it's in its best form. Um, and as I have gone through my career, uh, I've only been bettered by the editors that I've worked with. And I've worked with some really, really great editors. I'm so thankful for them. Um, I really credit them with teaching me a lot about writing. I guess it's its own art form to edit uh, a work. Yes, yes, and work with the it editor. sure is. Yes, absolutely. And there, and I mean, you've always got, you, you know, your occasional editor, that's just terrible. Um, but for the most part, they're really good at what they do. And, you know, their name doesn't go on the front cover, your name goes on the front cover, but they should get a lot of credit for, for what they do uh, behind the scenes. Sure. And, and you, you kind of threw, threw the javelin way too far on that first word count. But do you find now, I, I bet now you're in a groove where you know, I'm about halfway through this book right now, or I know that I, I need to fill this chapter more or do, how do you even plot out a book? Because I, I plot out a screenplay with an outline. Is it yes. the same? Yeah, it's the same. I mean, you begin to instinctively know 
you know, where you're at. Um, I go by word count. So do the publishers. So publishers are looking at word count, not page count. Um, because of formatting, page count really isn't what they need. Um, but uh, now I'm a pantser. Uh, what, is that? what does that mean? So a pantser is somebody that writes by the seat of their pants. And <laughs> uh, it sounds like you're a plotter. Now, I am. I am very much so. Okay. And we can get along fine. There's no reason why we can't be friends, but it definitely is a different approach. Now, once you get into publishing and uh, doing it professionally, pantsers have to bend a little bit and become plotters because your publisher isn't just going to trust you that this book is going to come out okay. They want to see what you're going to do before you write the book. And right. so I've had to learn to do some some plotting and I and I still to do to this day and I actually do a lot more plotting in screenplays than I even do in novels. But um but yeah, I mean I think where you probably plot a b c d e f g all the way through z, I plot more like a d l you know, I right. I'm just different parts of the alphabet, but I <laughs> basically know where I'm going. You are so you you are more happy working in like blasts of work. Um, yes, yes, yeah. I like to surprise myself about where I'm going, which I feel like will then surprise the reader because I didn't know this guy was dying, so you certainly won't know that he's dying. You know what I mean? Like I've I've learned that, and and here's the thing about pantsers is we often write ourselves into a corner. Um, and so, you know, we there's some downsides to this style of writing as well, where plotters are never surprised at the end of their book when you know, it's time to end it. They're not sitting there going, oh, no, what am I going to do? <laughs> they <Right>. already know. <laughs> well, and uh, don't most editors require a little bit of interaction throughout the book, as you said, like, like, do they want to see like. I got to see three chapters. I mean, I've seen Romancing the Stone. I've seen every movie about an author where they're calling on the phone going, where's that manuscript? And she's saying, I'll have it to you next week. I mean, is that how it works? Well, I don't, you know, the bigger you get as an author, perhaps the more latitude you have in call making calls like that. But pretty much I always try to hit all my deadlines. And, and for the most part, I did. Um, and you know, I, they never asked for early on in my first and second book, they required more from me. And after that, you know, they just let me write my book and turn it in. And then they would give notes back and phone calls and that kind of thing afterwards, which I prefer. I don't want to be sending in chapters as I'm writing them. Yeah, I, I would think I, I'm that way with um with a screenplay assignment. They'll be like, can we just see the first act? And I'm like, no, 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 because you're going to yeah. start notes or you're going to start going what what's up with this guy like you want them yes. to read most of the work to see the setups and payoffs and things that i completely agree yes and i'm the, the exact same way well what is your down to the nuts and bolts like what what is your uh habit i guess do you do you just have a special place where you always go do you like consistency do you get up every day at the same time <laughs> well so my writing routine has changed honestly, depending on how old my children were. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, yeah. No, I can totally appreciate yes. that. We just talked to uh, your friend, Andrea Nasfell. Um, yes. And we all agree that uh, writers without children don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I sold my first book when my son was five weeks old. So writing that book was crazy. I mean, there are whole portions of that book that if you, I, I don't actually remember writing. Um, I was <laughs> writing at like two and three in the morning, but between feedings and I was like oh delirious. So, um, and then, you know, they were young babies and toddlers on the next two or three books. And then they kind of got into preschool and kindergarten on the next two or three books. And so like they, they have grown up with all these stages. And so you know, once I got into school, I got to have a better writing schedule and now they're uh, young adults. And so now I get to kind of 
I don't know. It's, it's, it feels so easy because (laughs) (laughs) there's nobody needing me to run something at the school or take them their lunch or whatever. So um, yeah, but I try to stay fairly consistent. I really like to stay, I, I try to work between eight and five. I really try to keep office hours and um, I'm no, I'm really no good at night anymore. I used to in my twenties be able to write at night and be creative. Now morning time is my best creative time. And so I wow. usually do my creative writing in the morning and then do administrative work in the afternoon. Uh, that's good. So you, uh, I remember hearing Joss Whedon say, eat dessert first. Like what is the thing you're most excited about writing? Do it right away at the beginning of the day, right when you sit down. Yes. Rocket boosts you into the rest of your work day. Yes. And I, I would say that I've kind of recently adopted that. I, I've, I've tried several different styles through the years of figuring out where to place what, and that really does work the best, especially when you are working on several different assignments. And so I just, I have to place things according to when things are due and that kind of thing as well. Um, I do a lot of writing on Saturdays and those Saturday writings are often the, the projects that nobody is buying, right? Like these are just projects that I'm very passionate about. Nobody really knows I'm writing them. And I get up on Saturday mornings and I work on those. And sometimes I'll get up, you know, before 8 a.m. and work on those. And then, you know, I do my paid work during these certain hours. And um, so, yeah, and and each season changes. And depending on what's going on, I shift and change. I think I have had to be moldable through the years. So I've been able to adapt to various scenarios pretty easily. Well, it's a real challenge that, and I've talked to some people, uh, people in all different creative disciplines from musicians to actors to playwrights. And it's like, you have to somehow uh, become a professional at this, at this creative thing you love and not have it drain the joy out of it. Yes. And it seems like you found a way to say, oh, I get to write on Saturday. I get to write. This yes. Book. And that you still have that passion for it after all these years of writing all these pages. Um, that's, that's really great. Well, I think that's the key for me is to have that passion project that nobody knows about and that nobody's paying me for, uh, that I get to do, like you said. And I still, of course, love doing writing and getting paid for it. Who can complain about that? Um, and the writing I get to do is so much fun but there will there is always a burden attached when it becomes a paid project because then you've got other people involved there's a pressure to it you've got to meet a certain standard you've got to hit deadlines and so it does it becomes something that if you aren't careful can drain the joy um and so it really is uh it, it is about my friend bob signs says something wonderful which I think is such a great balance. He says, writing is what I do, not who I am. And mm-hmm. I love that because you really, if if you draw your whole identity into being a writer, then it certainly can affect your uh, self-esteem on weeks that things aren't going well. And so it, it is all about, to me, creating that balance and being healthy about it, uh, which is challenging. It can it can really be challenging at times. Um, that is such a good point, though, because if if you just kind of um, take the emotion and the uh, the follow your dreams rainbows out of it and just say, this is my job. It, it then when you get a note or you have to edit, and you, you know, 10 words out of something, it's it's part of the job that you're crafting this thing. You're not like pouring your heart out and somebody stomping. <laughs> your heart you're taking notes as you're building the book that you've been paid to create yes Um, absolutely but then i bleed all over the page on saturday mornings (laughs) yeah well i mean mean, that's why i I just i constantly pray that to to god that i will never lose that childlike spark that made me want to do it in the first place because the people that pay you to do it somehow they don't realize it but they're they're pounding that joy out of you and, right. and I, I got to go to go to a dark movie theater and get rekindled again because 
<laughs> if, if it, it's that balance, because I think you do have to treat it like a job to get it done. You can't treat it like a passion or a hobby, but then it's like, well, you got to still have that passion hobby spark that got you going. When you were yes. Yes. It, it, and it really is. And I think part of what has kept me healthy in this arena is having good writer friends um and and going still i still go to writers retreats i run a writers conference myself because i love the joy of getting a whole bunch of writers in a room um and teaching new writers and seeing them like walk into the uh how to write sci-fi class for the first time and their eyes are just like these are my people where have you been um, I I love that, and it really does renew me and um, create a lot of joy for me. So, uh, yeah, it it's it, there's a lot of things that you you have to do to maintain longevity in this career, and um, I've been lucky enough to have good mentors over the years and good friends who've helped me through that. Well, it seems like you also get a spark out of mentoring other people. Let's back up and talk about that writers conference that you have created. It's like a, you have an organization now that kind of runs that throughout the year, right? Yeah, like we do. Um, it's called WriterCon in Oklahoma City. I run it uh, with uh, several friends, and um, we have. It's kind of fun. We we work with two markets, so we work with the general market and then the Christian market. So whatever you're writing there's definitely going to be something for you there. And we're in the middle of the country. So you don't have to fly to the West or East coast, uh, to get there. And, um, I don't know. It's like just a lot of fun for me. I, I've always enjoyed, well, there was a long time when I wasn't sure I could teach writing, uh, because I, I didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't good at breaking it down, right? So I'm more of a gut writer. I write from my gut. I write out of instinct. And to try to put that on a slide, you know, a PowerPoint or whatever, I, I'm i learning that it's not called PowerPoint anymore. It's called slide deck. So I'm trying to be <laughs> current. But anyway, um, whatever, it was hard for me to break break it down. But once I learned how to teach it, at least from my point of view, how I approach writing, then I really got a lot of joy of um, from just working with other writers and helping them realize their talent. Is that the same time every year? It is. It's over Labor Day. Uh, at, you can find out more information at writercon.com. That's great. And uh, yeah, yep. And that's it's not, very affordable. That's not too far away from me. I might have to go to that. That does sound like a lot of fun. And Corey, if, yes. Since I realized you're in Dallas area, I agree. <laughs> that would be good. that'd be good. I need some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So then you you uh, the the way that I got to know you was through your um, your book Boo, which is uh, not some uh, hip hop guy talking about his girlfriend. It is uh, <laughs> the, the traditional scary Boo, um, and um, our mutual friend Andrea Nasfell and, and Brady Nasfell. They were. Uh, working on, they wanted to turn that into a movie. And then they approached me to direct it. And boy, we've spent years and years trying to figure that out. I, I hope we do today. <laughs> yeah. Because there's this uh, entire uh, uh, kind of quirky small town that has built an industry around this Stephen King-like writer. And then this yes. guy kind of, his life becomes brighter. He kind of, uh, he, he finds God. He, he starts dating. He, he, and, and his work becomes less spooky. And so the whole town is trying to sabotage his life <laughs> so that it becomes awful again. So he will write all those great horror novels. I mean, am I, am I getting all that right? About, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Um, but then how you got like a whole series out of that, too. So where does he go? I mean, you don't have to tell us where he goes from there. They can buy the books. But when did you know, hey, I think this is a series of books. Boy, that was that was a really interesting um, lesson for me in the publishing world. So that was Boo was my third book, and Boo was extremely quirky. Um, yeah. In fact, my current pu publisher that I had was so they read it and they were like, "What is this?" <laughs> and <laughs> they were like, "No thanks," uh, which was understandable. That wasn't really their genre, and so we took it over to um, Random House, and uh, they looked at it and they were like, "This is weird." 
but we kind of like it. And so they took a huge risk and they published it. And it, I think it was just a combination of like Karen Kingsbury and Jerry Jenkins weren't publishing anything that month. And yeah. it was Halloween and it just shot like up to, it ended up being a bestseller suddenly. And uh, they, so they come to me and they're like, Hey, do you have any ideas for a second book? And I was like, what? And, and I mean, I had no ideas. It didn't occur to me to make it a series. It never occurred to me. And so I'm at Thanksgiving dinner with my sister and she says, well, you could call the second one boohoo. <laughs> I was like, my gosh. And then I was like, and boo hiss. And like, they wouldn't stop coming. And so I create just from that title, I created a second storyline and then a third and then a fourth. And then it was over. <laughs> That's all I could think of. But, um, but yeah, and that just kind of showed me you should be ready for a series if possible. Yeah. I mean, it, well, you know, the, the, it can success, happen. Success on anything can suddenly become scary. Cause like money talks, Gutteridge, let's get that money train going. Yes. Crank those books out. And uh, you don't want to do it just for that, but when it's successful, suddenly you got to kind of chase it a little bit. Well, and and I learned again. I was pretty young at the time, so I was able to do this. But they asked for the second book. I pitched them this idea, and they were like, "We love it. Can you do it in two and a half months?" And I was, I, I mean, I, I said yes, yes. I said yes, and because I didn't really know that I could say no, you know, I thought, well, this is my career. I should, of course, kill myself to do this. And I had, uh, I had a new baby, and. Um, yeah, so uh, I afterwards I swore I'd never do it again, and I and I haven't. I've never done anything like that again. What, what is comfortable for you in a, a timeline to write a book from beginning to end? Six months is comfortable for me. Yeah, longer than that, it gets kind of um, oh, I can drag my feet a little bit and sort of lose track of where I am in the story. But yeah. um, but six months is it allows me some time to put some space in there and then go back and edit those kinds of things. Man, yeah. two and a half months. That's crazy. And, uh, well, so, uh, the, the other, uh, book series that you have storm, tell me a little bit about that and how that evolved into a series itself. Now that one, I did have a series idea for, and that one's a funny, that's a funny story too, because, um, I, I guess I got overly creative and I thought, okay, I'm going to write the first book and then I'm going to go back and write the prologue. Wow. And then I'm going to write the third book. And the fun way that I arranged it was that the books could be read in any order. You could start anywhere in this series and read it and be fine, oh. which is still true yeah. to this day. But it completely confused I get more emails about what order they should read this book series. And I should have just started at the, the prologue and, or the, the prequel. I think yeah. I said prologue, but prequel. Yeah. I got uh, yeah, I should yeah, I should have started at the prequel and then just told it in order. Being it creative, I just confused everybody. And then the publisher tried to straighten it out by numbering it, and that created some chaos because then because one of them does say prequel and so anyway it <laughs> people still like it but um and it's a suspense series it's a good series um but it yeah I, I looking back on that i wish i'd just been more straightforward and i mean that is the lesson that readers really don't like to think too hard about what's going on they're they're going to read books for entertainment and to sort of escape their jobs and the harder they have to work to figure things out, the less chance they're going to come back. But, but that, that yeah. series has done well for me. That's, that's interesting. Cause I know uh, a lot of people can get very animated in their discussions of like the Chronicles of Narnia series, you know, what order do you read those in or the star Wars movies? What order do you watch them? <laughs> and I always on both of those, I fall back to the order in which they were created. Because yes. I want to follow the life of the creator's mind. Even if there is a quote-unquote prequel, I'm never going to read The Magician's Nephew first. I'm never going to recommend that to people. Because I think that he wrote it with all this context. 
of creating the line, the Witch, and the wardrobe. Um, and you just, I think that it, it's, uh, and, and, and the Star Wars movies are just plain boring if you start at episode one. Uh, right. <laughs> but, I, and, 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 you know, so I kind of follow the creator. Uh, and, and of course, the Marvel movies and, and now the Star Wars movies and, and shows and all that, they're dropping in so many places out of order that now I, I think we are making people do an awful lot of work. I know that Absolutely. anybody that's not a full on nerd for uh, just kind of shakes their head and goes, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where this falls anymore. Like, yes, much. it's too much work. I'm just going to go to the next thing. And there is always a next thing. Yes. Please have an obligatory exposition scene about where this movie falls in your 20 movies. <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, tell me about Occupational Hazard. Uh, was that also, hey, I got a series? Yeah, that was, you know, again, a super quirky series, which I know you can appreciate quirky comedy. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, comedy wasn't really being done in the Christian market in publishing. Um, and so it, it, it was a risk for the publisher, and, and I appreciated the risk they took on it. Um, it did pretty well. The third book didn't do so great, but by then, you know, your marketing dollars out and <laughs> you're just hoping that people will follow. And I should say, I should throw in this cautionary tale, I guess, that part of, part of the reason that maybe my books never like became huge bestsellers. You know, I was always sort of a middleist author for my whole career, which was fine. It, you know, it paid the bills and stuff, but um, is because I had a split readership. And the reason I had a split readership is because I wrote comedy. I wrote suspense. I wrote contemporary. I wrote novelizations. I wrote all these things. Now I was a super happy writer. I love different genres and I, felt that I could do them. Part of that was because I studied screenwriting, which screenwriters aren't really chained to a genre. And so I, it didn't really occur to me that I couldn't be a multi-genre author. My agent did warn me. She said, look, I'll you know follow you where you go, but I'm telling you this probably will cause problems in your publishing career. Um, but I was producing sure. a lot of books, and so I was able to at least maintain for a good while a good steady readership in each of those genres, suspense and comedy. Um, but the Occupational Hazards was sort of a follow-up for the Boo fans who love this quirky kind of comedy, um, and this follows a, a group of homeschooled kids whose family were, they were in the clown business and very successful. And, uh, there were seven of them. Uh, and one day their parents decided to take the first vacation they had ever taken in their life. They went to Vegas, died in a tragic hot tub accident, uh, while <laughs> being serenaded by Elvis and they died with smiles on their faces. But at that point, each of these uh, hazard children uh, had to go find a new occupation. And so it follows these kids as they become young adults in the occupation that they choose. So, uh, yeah, so that was fun. I really love research. Um, I love researching different things when I write. I never go in pretending I know anything. And so I got to do a lot of research in this series. That sounds fun. so. That sounds like a great premise. That could even be a an episodic television series, just following all these storylines. Um, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. It it really was fun, and we actually made a movie out of the third one. Uh, it's oh. a, a independent film we did here in Oklahoma called oh. Skid. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that came from that book, and. Um, and then that was fun to make and it, it stood on its own and it, it worked fine. So and it's good to know that you had already trained as a screenwriter. You had, you had studied as a screenwriter because I was going to ask um, about the transition from author to screenwriter. A lot of, a lot of producers are not going to be happy about, Oh, the author wants to write the screenplay. <laughs> yeah. I already knew how to write screenplays and it was still hard. It is very hard to adapt your own work, whichever way you're going. It's very hard um, because you, you know, you can't really be objective in it. But um, 
I will tell you, it's way easier to teach screenwriters fiction than it is to teach fiction writers screenwriting. Oh, really? uh, they from fiction writing to screenwriting. Well, you're basically taking tools away from the fiction writer. You know, you're like, well, you can't use this and you can't use this and you can't do this and you can't do this. And <laughs> here are your three tools and good luck telling the story. And they're just, they're like, what? Um, whereas screenwriters, I'm handing you tools. I'm going, oh, you get to do this. You get to do this. And there's no budget and you just have all these words and you know, they have to learn point of view, which can be hard for a screenwriter, but I find that they make an easier transition than the fiction writer going over to the screenwriter. Oh, that's so interesting. I'd never even thought about that the door swings differently both ways. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, do you enjoy it now that I, yeah, I was gonna segue here into, you are definitely now, you, you, you talk about yourself as an author in the past tense. Does that mean that life is behind you and you are now a screenwriter? Here on out. Oh, you know that's funny. I didn't even um, I didn't even notice that I did that. But I would say that I've definitely put put a stop to that right now. I would say I'm never out um, because I actually do miss it. Um, and I do uh, some ghostwriting, uh, nonfiction ghostwriting, and co-writing, and I still do that, and I do enjoy that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for right now I've transitioned into screenwriting. I'm enjoying it and it's a good, you know, it's a strange thing to do in the second half of your life is make a sudden change, but it's definitely screenwriting was definitely always on my heart and something I really loved and really hoped that I would get to do someday. And, uh, and the door opened for me to do that. And so, you know, I was, a, I, I, took the chance and the risk and did it. And I'm glad that I did. And the, uh, the big one that you've uh, worked on, it's out right now is family camp, which is uh, a, such a great idea for, uh, you know, you would say, I would tell people, yeah, it is a Christian uh, made movie, but it's really more of a family movie. It's such a shared experience of like going to camp with your family and, and things going horribly wrong. And uh, great trailers. I think it's doing, it seems like it's doing pretty good out there right now. Um, and you, did you come to know the guys behind it who call themselves the skit guys? Did you yep. get to know them as a writer with them full time or was this the introduction? Well, this was, so this is kind of how I broke back into screenwriting. Um, I had done skid and was at a film festival and met their director and he said, well, you know, we're kind of looking for a screenwriter. We want to do a feature film. We need a screenwriter. Would you be interested? And so that's kind of how it started. And then I, I kind of came into the company as their writer and they all write. So all of them are writers um, on the creative team, but I kind of get to sort of, I guess, bring in the screenwriting side of it to where when everybody has ideas, I'm able to take these and sort of form them into, you know, a feature film. Now on Family Camp, we'd, writ we'd written one. Um, it was really good. It ended up being too expensive. <laughs> and so we, uh, we started on this a, a second one, which the director actually had the idea for. So he wrote the first draft. I wrote the second draft and we just went back and forth. And so, so I'm kind of like a hired writer for them. So they will have ideas and then I take those ideas and, and get them into shape and work with them to get a screenplay on paper. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I wondered how that worked because a, a lot of sketch groups, it's like everybody's throwing stuff in, but it's, yes, nice that you that there's a buck stops here writer that says okay i'm going to coalesce this into the best version of of the idea you guys have but you're doing that actually on short sketches as well yeah so we you know same sort of deal there's kind of a writer's room atmosphere um and you know but the at the end of the day all these scripts are passing through uh my hands their hands and we're all working together to get these short films out um, in all different forms. And I'll tell you that 
that's been a whole other beast for me writing these short films. I had no short film experience, which is unusual for screenwriters. Um, but I have always been in long form storytelling. And so to go from 90 pages script or 90,000 word novel to a three page script, uh, was very challenging for me. It took, it was quite a while before I understood how to do it well. Yeah. Um, well, I had to tell get some major training. Some the, tell me some of the big aha moments you had, because you talked about brevity. The, the, the premise yeah. is set up in three sentences, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, when you're training in screenwriting, they always tell you get in late and get out early, which is a great rule of thumb. But when you're in these short films um, and, and they're, you know, the short films that we write for skit guys are very um, peculiar in particular in how we do them. So they're not a short film that you might see at a film festival. They're not always narrative. Sometimes they are. Um, but yeah, you have to get into the story. You have to find a way to make clear what your story is, where you're at and who these people are in like, ugh, I mean, four lines. And then, you know, from there you have a little bit to tell a very interesting moment and story and make a point and you're out. <laughs> and, um, so it's it's been very interesting to me. I, I do prefer long form story. Uh, I think I always will. Um, but it's been it's been good. You know, it's another form of storytelling that I've learned, which I'm thankful for. Well, it's almost like the, the idea itself for a sketch, having written a lot of sketches, is uh, sometimes you get an idea and you're like, well, that's just too big to even do a sketch of. That's that's you, you say short film, but a short film could be 10 minutes. It could be 20 mm -hmm. minutes. But mm -hmm. especially with YouTube, I, I've been shooting just some low budget stuff of that I do. And it's like, well, this one is 30 seconds. But it's <laughs> it's, it, it's literally based on um, a phrase I heard. There's no there's no three act structure to it. Absolutely. Yet. Those 30 seconds are amazing. Yeah. No, there's not. And and so, yeah, there's no three act structure. You're exactly right. You're just getting a glimpse of something and someone. Um, but our our culture has learned to uh, absorb these and they love them. And so you write for your culture, you know? I was uh, recently uh, a bunch of elementary school kids at my kid's school. And a lot of times you put on the Netflix and you put on like the, the short 20 minute episodes, the, the SpongeBob kind of short and fast things, and they just binge through them. But uh, today uh, it was like, let's put on a movie. Let's slow things down while uh, another event was uh, wrapping up. It's like, hey, let's put on a movie um, and movies, longer narratives, even with kids, it slows you down. It makes you pay attention more to quiet moments. And um, it just it just it demands I guess that's a negative word, but it demands a little more of the audience and it pulls you in a little further. And I just thought, mm -hmm. like, wow, movies still rule. They really do. I uh, agree. <laughs> um, but it's hard to get everybody to commit to a movie. When you when you get a group of people together, you say, let's watch a movie. Uh, my wife and I are no different at night. We're like, we just want to watch something short and fast and funny. And my kids, they'll just devour YouTube. But I think once you commit to a movie, you, it's like you're committing to a bigger meal and um, you get a little more, um, you get a little more uh, of an entree. I'll just keep going with them. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 guess, I guess you get to work in, in both forms so that you don't, um, I, does that keep you fresh to get to work in all these different forms? I think so. I mean, I hope so. You know, I, as I get older, uh, you know, you, you're just challenged to try to stay current. Right. Right. Um, and I do work, you know, I do have people I work with who are younger and, you know, they're vibrant and they're fast and they're, they're witty and they, they're just super smart. And so, you know, I try to bring what I can to the table, which is not always speed, yes. <laughs> right? But it is, a, I think, a vast knowledge of long form storytelling, which you know, it as much as it takes a commitment in watching it, it takes a bigger commitment in telling it and learning it. And so, you know, I think that there's there's definitely will always be room for it. I hope so, because it does keep us smarter as a culture, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it never goes away. Um, there's so much that can be gained from 
just the the passing of stories even uh, you know I, I don't think people sat around the fires for generations passing 30 second bits yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah the, the, the get up in front of the fire at the campfire and just just do a do a quick routine <laughs> uh, right um do you let me back up and say you know you probably have never said goodbye to books is there something that you still want to conquer is either it's a a form of writing or you want to get back to that one book you never wrote that one story that's still in the back of your brain yeah like i've yes i have several um and oh, that's why good. i think that i'll i'll come back to it in in the right season um and yeah, I have like, there's topics in fiction that I'm extremely interested in that I want to go explore. And um, it mostly having to do with like the criminal justice side of things. I think I was, yeah. even though I didn't go into like the FBI, I still sort of have great interest in it. So yeah, um, yeah. And, and I've also been, uh, as I've gotten older, I've formed a really big interest in true stories. Yeah. Uh, I read almost only nonfiction these days, um, mm. even though I, and, and I did read a lot of nonfiction when I was writing fiction as well, because I didn't really want to get inside my own head with like, oh my gosh, I'm reading so-and-so and she's incredible and I'm a hack. And <laughs> so I, I tried to stay away from it when I was writing it. And, but I've always loved nonfiction and I love really great um, narrative nonfiction. Um, I love how these writers will take a true story, but tell it in such an amazing way. So I would love to, write those kinds of stories someday. I, I don't know if I have enough lifetime left to <laughs> to do it and do it well, but it definitely would be something I'd be interested in. Now that's 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 great. I mean it's uh, it's always great to be, you know, reaching for something else and thinking of new things. And and uh I don't know if uh do, do you know <laughs> if family camp becomes a, a huge success, they're gonna like it's that same thing with the the book. They're gonna come to you with a Let's have a sequel. Let's uh, let's, <laughs> family camp in London. Uh, yeah, yeah. They always go to London or Paris or Hawaii. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's because the whole crew wants to go there, you know? Right, They're right. Like, where, where do you want to, like, like those Ocean's Eleven movies, it's like, well, where do you want to live for six months? <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's definitely on the table. We've, you know, lots of people have already asked for it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you just kind of have to make the best decision you can in the moment. So those are, those decisions are for people way smarter than me. And, you know, I would just say, I'm just the writer, but, but I, I really do like to keep my focus in the place that I think I'm most valued and have the most um, knowledge. Right. I mean, I guess I would ask, is there a genre you, you've done so many genres, is there a genre you want to dabble in? But I think you also know yourself to know, uh, like for me, I will never write a political thriller. I, will, I just never will. I won't be that good at it. Go get somebody who's better at it. But then there are certain genres that I know, oh, I, you know, that's my wheelhouse. But is there something like a, a musical? Would you like to write a musical or would you like to, uh, I don't know. Is there is there an area yeah. that you uh, want to explore? Animation? Well, um, I, you know, I, I've said, I mean, I, I haven't, I guess I haven't said it out loud, but there's certain genres that I've thought I wouldn't be any good at, and then I've been talked into them. Um, <laughs> and it turns out I was, I was better at it than I thought I was, but <clears throat> I think you have to go in with the attitude of like, I've got to learn this and who can I go to who can teach me the things I need to know. Um, one of the genres that I'm extremely interested in is uh, true crime. Yeah. And I'm actually working on a true crime series right now, but it's, you know, there is a lot to learn about it. There's a, there's a lot. So it's kind of going in, doing my best, but understanding I'm going to need people surrounding me who've done this before, who can go, yeah, you've, there's some things that you've got to do uh, here and here and here to make this work. And so I think if you're teachable, um, and you, you don't go in going, well, I'm going to pretend like I know what I'm doing, but you go in 
trying to find the expert and going, hey, can you come alongside me and teach me some things, then I think you can pull it off. Um, well, it, research, I, I, I would guess, can be exhilarating. It, much like an actor who gets to live many lives, as a writer, you can research um, many different, uh, you know, many different occupations. And um, <laughs> it was true crime, many ways to kill people, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Well, and with like this particular project, and it's been true for like, for all of my suspense novels, I always had a tech advisor. Uh, on every single one of them, because I wasn't going to pretend for a second I knew how the FBI worked, right? So I always had somebody in the wings who was a technical advisor for me who read everything that I wrote. And thank goodness they did, because boy, you get a lot of stuff wrong thinking you know how things function from what you've watched on TV. And when you have somebody that's really in the occupation going, oh my gosh, no, this does not work like this at all. Then it actually makes it a better novel. Like the people reading it learn something there, you know, they learn that, oh my gosh, I didn't know that about the FBI or the, you know, the airline business. That was one of my most fascinating um, research trips is when I went to Atlanta uh, and uh went around Delta and talked to lots of people at Delta learning what this occupation was like. Oh my gosh, it just opened my eyes to this whole industry. I was, and I put a lot of it in the book um, because I just don't think people know and they will after they read Skid, but um, it was just fascinating. And so for the true crime, I also have a person who's come alongside um, in law enforcement who is really good at catching a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have had a clue about. Do you have a Do you have a good story for me about a, a research trip or a ride along or a, 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 a moment where you said, "I'm just the writer. What am I doing here?" Oh my gosh, I have so many. I mean, one time, like I will go and do anything. And and what's interesting is when you're a writer, you can almost get in anywhere. Like they, you know, like when I was at Delta, he took me by the central command of Delta and he's like, now we're not going to be able to go in. You know, you can just kind of stand out here and watch. And then a guy walked by and introduced himself and I introduced myself as a writer and he said, oh, would, would you like to come in and take a tour? And the guy that was giving me the tour is like, that never happens. And uh, so, but my husband and I actually went and trained with our local bomb squad and ATF. Um, and wow. so we actually got to play these terrorists. And so we were the bad guys and we got to train with them all day. Um, and it was scary and it was fun and it was, it was really exhilarating. And I got to have a firsthand look at what they do and how they do it. Uh, in a completely different perspective. Uh, I've been up in our special unit, Oklahoma City special unit, um, helicopter unit, and I've been up with those guys. And I, I just, yeah, I'll do anything that interests me. Um, and I think you should, you know, it, if you're writing about a bakery, uh, you should go to a bakery and spend the day there. You shouldn't pretend like you know how a bakery uh, functions. And right. so I'm really adamant about that. And it's really fun. I mean, it's actually really fun to go hang out and let people talk to you about their occupation. Yeah. I mean, it's an excuse to almost live another life for a day. Why yes. Not? Yes. Why not? What else you, don't want your, you don't want your art or your media to be based on other art and other media. You know, that's it's like, right. You don't want to write that bakery book based on uh, another book or movie you saw about a bakery. It becomes derivative. <laughs> Right. That is exactly right. So chances are maybe you learn some tips. You become a better baker while you're there. Could be. Yes. But you'll definitely make like friends and great acquaintances at the very least. And and people love to talk about what they do. I mean, how often do people get to talk about their career? They will just tell you everything and they'll tell you their horror stories. And so it's super fun. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, I, I appreciate you telling me a little bit about your career and your stories. Um, it's always inspiring to me to talk to other people about how they do what they do uh, so that I and other listeners can go out and kind of be inspired to keep doing what we're doing. Um, where uh, You talked about WriterCon. Where else can people, um, uh, they can go see Family Camp and what else can they do to, to, to catch what you're doing these days? 
Well, um, I have my website, ReneeGetteridge.com. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm on the social medias and uh, easy to find in all the places. Amazon carries my books and Barnes and Noble. Uh, they're all, you know, on ebooks. Some of them are still in paper. Uh, and, but you can, you can find them. So yeah, so I, I'm easy to find these days. That's great. That's great. You're not out there doing TikTok dances though, are you? I am not. I no. had to, I had to stop at Instagram. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we got to have standards here. Um, all right. Well, thanks for talking to me. This has been great. You're welcome. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, Renee Gutteridge for all her time and uh, just cracking open her brain about how she cranks out all those pages and words, thousands and thousands of words, and she's still doing it. She's changing genres. She's changing formats. She's keeping it fresh. And I mean that in the immediate sense and also in the uh, hip-hop late 80s sense, because I hope you guys can do that too. Keep it fresh. Keep it hype. Or uh, more recently, as the kids say, keep it sick. I do not like that. I do not like that term. Do not keep it sick. I was sick recently. did not like it. Um, but I hope you're staying fresh. I hope you're staying creatively fresh. And um, I'd also like to thank all the dads out there that had conversations with me this week. You made me a better dad and a better conversationalist. Well, guys, that's it for this week, and I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a creative week. Kick off that summer. I hope that Obi-Mo Kachobi is a great Star Wars series and isn't quite as slow as the book of Boba Fett. Y'all know what I'm talking about, except for that last episode. Guys, don't even watch Book of Boba Fett. Just watch the last episode, and you get ranker fights and jetpacks and uh, lots of good stuff, uh, but it was not one of the... Uh, uh, best series. So let's hope uh, uh, Obi-Mo Pachobi is uh, better. Um, and that's all I got for you this week. I'm Corey Edwards. Thanks for stopping by.